0: Uh, let me read the passage. This is uh, recorded in Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 34. And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turn to flight the armies of the aliens. So here's some men that God handpicked to do some deliverances for evil. One of the reasons why I'm picking these men is well, first of all, God picked them. I didn't pick them. One of the ones, the reasons why I've chosen to look at their lives is none of them lived a perfect life. There was only one man that ever lived a perfect life, and that is Jesus Christ. We fall short. And another thing I want to look at these folks is that just about when you take a look at all these men put together, there is no scheme of salvation that would get all these people listed in Hebrews 11 to glory except that of grace. Matter of fact, we find very few of them quote-unquote persevered to the end. It's a doctrine that I personally just don't understand. I can reason through it, but at the same time, it just doesn't hold up to Scripture. And again, we want God to be true and every man a liar, and we're going to go with that. Okay. So with that being said, we're looking at Gideon. There's no doubt about it. He's listed in Hebrews 11. He's a child of God. Okay. What we're going to find out that he is going to stray from God's will. And when he strays from God's will, he is going to create confusion for himself, for his family, and for his nation. And that's so much the case. So when I, as an individual, <clears throat> stray from God, it doesn't affect my relationship with God as being a child of God, but it, what it does is it affects my fellowship and my discipleship with him. And sometimes that'll cost me unpleasantness here on earth, but many more times it'll cost unpleasantness for my children and my children's children, which is a scary thing. Okay. So that being said, let's dive in. Uh, Gideon's account is recorded in the book of Judges. Remember in the book of Judges? That period of Judges was a little over 400 years. Moses was the first. Samuel was the last. Somewhere in here in uh, Judges chapter 6, 7, 8 is the account of Gideon. And we're going to see that Gideon started off a very timid man. And slowly but surely his confidence built and he got more and more faithful. But then as time went on, we're going to look at him and we're going to see that he did not finish well. Now, again, that lesson is for you and I, okay? So I'm going to start reading here in Judges 6. Let me start reading at verse 3. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they account against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance, For Israel neither sheep nor oxen or ass. So I want you to understand that the enemy of Israel absolutely destroyed their livestock and their crops. When they left them impoverished, it's going to say in here in a second, they just took away all their livelihood. This is important when we get to chapter 8. Okay, So just keep that in mind. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for the multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Now this is a reoccurring theme in the book of uh, Judges. I think it happened maybe 13, 14 times. Israel would be uh, um, experiencing peace and prosperity. During that peace and prosperity, they'd get full of themselves. They would start following Baal, they'd stop following God, and God would back off and leave them to their own devices, and they would get down in the pit, and when they're at the bottom of the valley, they would cry out and say, "Lord, help us." and God, time after time after time, send him a judge or a deliverer and help them bail out. This is another one of those dips in the roller coaster ride of Israel. Okay. So we're in chapter six, <clears throat> reading at verse seven now. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the nights, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the opp- that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. I want you to understand that God is going to make an Israel a promise right here. Gideon is going to hear the words of a prophet and the prophet's going to say, I've delivered you to the past and I'm going to deliver you right now. If, if you've got your fingers, go like this, one. This is one warning that Gideon's going to get. By the time we're done, you're going to be shocked at how many reassurances Gideon is going to get, get before he finally acts. Okay? That's one. He was told. Verse 11, and there came an angel. Two. Got it? He sent a prophet and he says, I'm going to deliver you. He's sending an angel, and the angel said, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to use you. Okay? And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was an Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abazarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, you don't thresh wheat in a rind press. The only reason you do that is because you're scared and you're hiding and you're trying to create some food so the bad guys can't take it away from you. Okay? That's the situation. That's where he lived. So this is the second time Gideon is going to be told God is going to deliver you. Okay? Think about it. How do you react when you give your son or your daughter a command the second time? Hmm? Give you a hint. Do you go to six? No? Gideon needed six. Six times. Okay? That's important because when we get to chapter 8, that's going to be really meaningful. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him And said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord had been with us, why then is all this befallen us? If there really is a God, why are we experiencing so much bad stuff? Because you sinned, and you kicked God out of your life, and now bad stuff, he left it to your own course. You're realizing the consequences of your own course, and now you're saying, Where's God? Does that sound familiar? Sounds like our nation, doesn't it? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. No, God did not forsake the Israelites. Israel forsake God, and God said, Okay, you want to do it your way? Have at it. Okay, And he said unto him, If I have now found grace in thy sight, show me a sign that thou talkest with me. And I'm going to stop here. I'm going to do some paraphrasing because I don't want to read all three chapters. But in this particular case, the angel says, okay, I'll show you a sign. And he says, make me a sacrifice. And Gideon made the sacrifice and he put the sacrifice on a rock or an altar. And then he stood back and the angel of the Lord went, and he consumed it up. And Gideon said, you know what? I think the Lord's here. So that was three. It was two verbal warnings and a sign that he saw. So to Gideon's credit, what he did is he went out and he uh, went to his father's house and he cut down the grove and he tore down the altars and he summoned his kids, Men, He says, we're going to go to battle. And God said okay we're ready to go to battle and Gideon said there's a whole bunch of them enemies you sure you want us to go to battle and God said yep you're the guy and I'm going to deliver them to you fourth time and Gideon says show me another sign and he ended up asking for two signs remember when he said the fleece make the fleece wet the ground dry make the ground wet the fleece dry there's two more guess what? We're up to six. We're up to six. So Gideon finally acts and he says, all right, I'm going to go to battle. And he's looking and he gets his 32,000 soldiers. That's who he summoned. Now this this is scary. When you test God, God might just turn around and test you. And that's exactly what happened. God said, all right, but, but, but I know you, Gideon. What's going to happen here is if you go into battle, now he's going into battle against 150,000 soldiers. And if he goes into battle, 150,000 with his 32,000, you're going to take credit for it Now, any sane person would say, no, that was a miracle. But God says, I know you well enough. With 32,000, you're going to take credit. That's too many. And he cut it down. He said, whoever's afraid, you go home. And now he's left with 10,000. So now it's 10,000 against 150,000. And God says, that's too much because if that 10,000 wins, you're going to take credit for it. So he whittled them down again and he has this drinking test with some water and he gets it down to 300. And God says, that's just right. Once again, when you test God, might God, God might just turn around and test you. And he gets it down to 300. And the 300, and I think you're familiar with the story, positions them around the top of a valley, and he gets it right at a switch of a watch, and it's dark in that valley, and they got the pitchers' trumpets and lamps, and they crash the pitchers, the lights do, they blare this, they, yell, they shout the the, the the Lord and the, the sword of Gideon, and, and there's all kinds of confusion in the valley, and they slay each other, Okay. And the best I can tell is all but about 15,000 were killed by him themselves. Now, Notice what the call was. The Lord and the sword of Gideon. How many people did the sword of Gideon kill? The answer is none. But that was the call. You know what Gideon got? He got the mop-up operation. That's what he got. That was it. Okay. So... Gideon then overheard a man dreaming. And you can read about this over here in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And then he was told again. So Gideon heard from a prophet, he heard from an angel, and he heard from a dreamer three times that the Lord is going to give you victory. And then he needed three signs the sacrifice being lapped up, and then two with the fleece. Six times. So he finally goes into battle. And he's reassured time after time again. Well, they get the battle and they get the victory. And then he does the the PTL club. But I want you to notice this. That in this battle, ultimately it was God and his wisdom that did it. God chose the personnel. God chose the weapons. God chose the strategy, the battle strategy. And the Gideon sword did nothing to deliver a thing. Kind of makes me think about the story of Goliath. I love that story about Goliath. Remember the story of Goliath, right? What did the sword do? The sword didn't do anything. What did the rock do? The rock killed Goliath. You know what the sword did? The sword manifested that Goliath was already dead. I did not finish him off. He was dead when he hit the ground face first. This is what the sword was used. It was used to mop up. Okay. Okay. Let's go to Judges 8. This is the interesting thing because I want to share now Gideon's trial after victory. Okay. We see this. Okay. this is a quick little review. In chapter 6, we saw the call. Gideon was reluctant. He needed three testimonies. He needed the three signs. He gets the victory. God really doesn't use him. God does it all on his own. And now we're here in chapter 8. Chapter 7 is what I would say was all about God. Chapter 8 is all about Gideon, unfortunately. This is where we, as children of God, as parents, as older members in a congregation, need to keep our awareness up for our children and our children's children because as soon as it all became about Gideon we're going to see at the end of chapter 8 we're going to see Israel is a bank, spiritually bankrupt country. Gideon won the battle but he lost the war. The war wasn't to the Midianites or the Amalekites. The war Was the spirituality in that part of the country for his children and his children's children? Okay, let's look at this, okay? There's three sections I want to show you in in Judges chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight us against the Midianites? And they did chide him sharply. And he, this is Gideon, said unto them, What have I done now in comparison to you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hand the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison to you? We're going to see Gideon go through three confrontations. The first confrontation, he handles it fantastically with a soft answer. And we go, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I really will say that. But I want you to notice something. That at this point in time, Gideon is still fairly humble. Because Gideon very well could have said, the reason why I didn't call you is God told me not to call you. Matter of fact, I had 32,000 of my old soldiers, and he said, that was too many. But Gideon gave a soft answer, and he says what was I compared to you? And you were able to take out the two princes. That was fluff. But he calmed the situation and he avoided a civil war. Now, let's look at the second confrontation. Gideon is going to become more fleshly. In chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 8 verse 4, and he said unto the men of Succoth, give, I pray, you loaves of bread unto the people which follow me. For I am pursuing Zeba and Zalma, the kings of Midian. So, think about it. Let's pretend you're in the city of Succoth and you see 15,000 Midianites running and you see 300 Israelites chasing after them. And the 300 said give me some bread. Now remember what we stressed in chapter 6? there was basically an impoverishment. The people of the Midianites took all their food. Food was extremely precious. And he said, you 300 are going to whip those 15,000? Yeah, right. I don't believe you. And he says, when I get back, I'm going to scourge your backs. Did Gideon ever say, I don't believe you, I got to see it to believe it? Yeah, yes for three signs, remember? Basically these people say, I don't believe you. I'm going to whip you. So then he moves on and he comes up to the next city. Penuel, and he comes up and he says, "Can I have some food for my soldiers?" And Gideon says, "When I get these two kings, I'm going to destroy you." So he we went from a soft answer to briars, to killing in short order. And these people are doing nothing more than exactly what Gideon did. i got to believe it to see it. Now, if 300 people were chasing 15,000 people, they said, give me some bread. Would you have a little bit of doubt? Gideon sure did, didn't he? My point is, Gideon is holding these men to a standard much higher than God held him to. This is the f- start of Gideon's downfall. Okay? So, Ephraim, soft answer, suck off, I'll tear your flesh. Penuel, I'm going destroy, <laughs> to destroy you. Okay? Let's move forward now. So, we go forward... Gideon accomplishes the mop up operation the people of Israel say oh Gideon you're the greatest said, we want you to be king matter of fact we want your sons to be kings too and Gideon says no no I'm not going to be your king the Lord is going to be your king but can you do me a favor he says when you went through all the and we, we killed all these people all these thousands, tens of thousands. He says, when you killed them, you took their gold earrings and their gold necklaces and their ornaments. He says, I want all your gold from the victory. And the people said, okay. Now God never told them to tear the flesh of the people from Sukoff. That was Gideon all on his own. He never told him to destroy that tower and kill the people in that city. That was Gideon on all his own. And God never told him to gather the gold up. And they gathered the gold and everybody got the booty that they got from this victory. And they got this great big pound. And I can't remember. It was maybe 1,700 shekels of gold, I think what it was. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was a pile of gold. And he went and made a golden ephod. An ephod was a vesture that was either worn by kings or by priests. And he made a gold and guess what happened? The people of Israel started worshipping it just like they worshipped the golden calf with Aaron. It became a stumbling block to them. And Gideon made an ephod thereof from verse 27 of chapter 8 and he put it in his city even in Ophrah And Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. My friends, this gold was nothing but a stumbling block. And what happened was Gideon was walking outside of God's will. He was claiming his trophies for his victories. He forgot that it was God's victory He never lifted a sword except in the mop up operation. It was the Lord and the sword of Gideon. No, it was the Lord. The sword did nothing. And Gideon just became more and more full of himself. And you're thinking, oh, what a terrible guy. Never forget, he's still written down in Hebrews 11, and he's God's child. God's children make terrible mistakes. It doesn't cost them eternity. Matter of fact, this mistake didn't cost Gideon very much at all in terms of personally, but who did it cost him? His children and his children's children. That's why we stay and we walk in the Lord, not only for ourselves, not only to glorify God, but to bless our children and our children's children. Okay? One more. Gideon's not done yet. I'm in chapter 8. Remember Gideon chapter 7 was all about the Lord. Chapter eight's all about Gideon. And here we go. Gideon had three score and ten sons and of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine, which was in Shechem, she also bare him a, sore, a son, which name he called him Abimelech. Now, Abimelech interpreted as son of the king. But Gideon said, you weren't going to be a king. But he named his child son of the king. This was later on in the 40 years. Son of the king. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash's father in Orpherah, the Eberzites. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Bel-bereth their God. And the children of Israel remember not the Lord, their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Gideon's curse was to his children and his children's children. You cannot be a father to 70 sons. No telling how many daughters. He sired them. But he didn't father them. Amen? He became all about Gideon. Solomon came all about Solomon. That was Jacob's downfall. It was David's downfall. all those children by all these women. And Israel was set up for a fall. Okay? So kind of wrap up my observations. Number one. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Gideon's sword was used to deliver Israel from the Midianites, much like Goliath's sword was used to deliver Israel from the Philistines. In other words, it wasn't. It was used after the fact to manifest what God had already done. Don't you love it? When David got that rock, boom, the rock killed Goliath. The sword didn't kill Goliath. The sword cut off the head. He lifted it up. All the Philistines on this side of the valley, all the Israelites on this side of the valley are looking to see that big galoot fall down, and they're going, I wonder what happened. David removed all doubt with the sword. The sword didn't kill him. It manifested that he was already dead. The rock killed him. What a metaphor for what we believe about grace in the New Testament. Number two, use caution when you test God. Know that God may answer. Number two, or He may test you directly or indirectly. Will you Saul long suffer with Him? Will you long suffer with them as the way He long suffered with you? Gideon did not. He was harsh and abrasive to those people that wouldn't give him some bread, that didn't believe it, that needed to see it to believe it. When he was told three times by a dreamer, by an angel, by a prophet, given three signs, and then he was still timid and not sure. And then he turns around and he's really harsh toward these other people. That was the start of the downfall of Gideon or of Israel. Number three, Gideon sired 70 plus sons, but he did not father any of them. Gideon won the battle, but he lost the war. He left the next generation spiritually bankrupt. And then finally, Gideon was God's. Despite not having finished well, Gideon's behavior cost him, it cost his family, it cost his nation, but his sonship was never in question. And that's exactly what happened with Jephthah and Samson. Okay, the mathematician, the ex-investment banker is really going to come out at me now. I want you to see this chart, okay? <laughs> Looks like a stock market, right? This is my silliness. What I've done is I've tried to talk about or I tried to show mathematically the relationship with Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson with God. Okay the relationship with God. Most of them started off and over time they got stronger with God, but none of these three men finished well. And none of these three men left anything, spiritually speaking, for the next generation. Do you see that? If you're talking about heaven, they got it. It wasn't because of them, because it was God. But it was talking about leaving something spiritual for your children. All three of them missed the mark. So, we obey God. We worship God. We try to please God. We try to reflect God. Why? For the next generation, not to earn ourselves or our way into heaven. So, according to this graph, Gideon is the blue guy. And I got him starting off kind of mediocre. That's chapter 6. Remember all those doubts, having to hear it three times, having to three, hear three signs? I might even be generous with them. But he started off pretty weak, and then when you get to chapter 7, and he says, okay, God, I'm going to go into battle with just 300 against 100 and some thousand. That's faith. And not only that, he says he makes uh, put down their javelins and their swords and their spears, and they go and Battle of pitchers, trumpets, and lamps. Randy, this is for you. That's the first PTL club. Pitchers, trumpets, and lamps. And they go into battle with those things. And then what happens? He gets the victory. And then he starts forgetting God gave him the victory. And he starts operating on his own. In terms of retribution. In terms of gold. In terms of Family, he's operating solo without God. We go to Jephthah. Jephthah is pretty steady. Remember Jephthah? He was always pretty good with God, and his problem was with his fellow man, right? He was treated poorly. He's the guy that just soon busts you in the mouth and to look at you. And he had one daughter. And because of his impulsive vow cost him too and she got love she was a fine young lady very impressive very faithful but no next generation okay and then we go to samson and samson is just taunting god he just just the prostitutes the pretty women ladies of a different nationality just outside the faith. And it's kind of like he's going, nah, 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 nah." he just totally forgot that all his strength came from God. And he didn't even leave another generation. He could have, but he didn't because of his impulsive, vindictive behavior. So, I doubt too many churches would elect these three characters to be on their deacon board. But God elected them to be judges in Israel for a time. He elected them, he adopted them to be his children. They'll be with him in the glory. But as we look at these three characters, there's not too many schemes of salvation that get these guys into heaven. Matter of fact, there's hardly any, but there is one and it's called Sovereign Grace. And we're so thankful for that, okay?